It's the Muppets Mini Show with host Nick and Andy! Yay! Yay! It's time to talk about the Muppets movies minute by minute. Today we're talking about the Great Muppet Caper, Minute 3. Minute 3 starts with Gonzo, noting that a lot of people worked on this movie, and ends with a hot air balloon crashing into a crowded city street. Now we're getting somewhere. We are! You know, one of my favorite things about this uh the same kind from the last minute and this minute i like how the i like the camera movement i like how the the balloons kind of framed in there and then pans off of them they kind of float away and then we cut to the next scene like it's it's edited very yeah. well yeah well that's uh you know ralph kemplin well done <laughs> go ralph we mm-hmm. knew we hired you for something it was mostly this scene you left jim henson ro- loved him you left room in the frame for the credits that's all we asked yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the, yeah. So, you know, this first one, I, I, I do like how some of the uh, things that the Muppets say to the credits, like, make sense for the credits we're watching. Because here, they said, uh, uh, I think it was Fozzie, right, that said a lot of people worked on this film? Yeah. I think that's Fozzie. I, I, okay. I think it was Fozzie or Gonzo. Gonzo. Might, it was one Fozzie of them. Yeah. Uh, but that's like... I, I don't know if that's a reference to having four writers and two writing teams. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing because I laughed because I'm like, okay, a lot of people worked on this movie, even though it's like the seventh credit. Like, yeah. you know, I just thought it was a funny thing to say, but you're right. The timing of it with this four writers uh, credit is funny. Yeah. So there are two writing teams on this and there's a little bit of story behind this. So the first thing that uh, Jim wanted to do was get, get a script down, get some kind of first draft down for this second Muppet movie. So he went to head writer Jerry Joel, uh, who did the script for the first film, was the head writer for all things Muppets. We talked about him extensively uh, about the, in the Muppet movie. He was like yeah. kind of the voice of the Muppets. Uh, so in uh, September of 1979, Jim met with veteran comedy writer Jack Rose to discuss the film. Jack Rose was uh, known for his success in writing for Bob Hope, writing jokes for Bob Hope. So he teamed up uh, Jack and Jerry and uh, set them on on their way to uh, to put this movie together, to put this script together. Uh, Jack and Jerry uh, collaborated a bit with uh, Frank Oz and even Joe Raposo, who was writing the music for the film. They all kind of got together and uh, started making notes, putting together a first draft. Uh, by January of 1980, Jerry and Jack had written the treatment, and they started uh, working on the first draft of the screenplay. Um, there were some minor differences in this very, very first draft, but they had the basic outline, apparently. Um, but they had some character names that were different, some settings that were different. And this, uh, the first script was tentatively titled, The Muppets Hit the Road. Um, there was also another working title thrown around, The Muppets Mania, as well. Hmm. Uh, so then, early in uh, 1980, around March... Uh, Jim Henson has a note in his diary, had Jack Rose over, um, over to London working with Jerry and they met, he went to London to meet them both about the script. Uh, there are some notes, quote, not happy with it and quote, there are a great many problems with this draft. He just, he wasn't really happy with the product that they were giving them, but 
Wasn't feeling the it. The basic outline was there. So then right. uh, this next month, Jim went to Los Angeles for the Oscars. And he was uh, going around there and he met up with these two writers, Jay Tarsis, Tarsis? I'm going to go with mm-hmm. Tarsis. And sure. Tom Patchett. Uh, they were known for working with Bob Newhart and Carol Burnett, so another couple of comedy writers. He, in uh, After meeting them, he asked them to take over the script duties. In the next month, uh, they uh, he noted in his journal um, uh, that they began working on the Muppet movie to rewrite. Uh, by June, they produced a script, a uh, little bit of Jack and uh, Jerry's script, and a little bit of theirs, and they called it The Good, The Bad, and The Muppets. Uh, Mm -hmm. So by the end of July, a composite script with the work of all four writers was complete and credited to both teams. So there you go. And then that's when uh, Jim decided to hold that contest and come up with the actual title of the film. But yeah, a lot went into this one. So he, you know, he didn't completely feel what his first two writers were giving him. And, you know, I think it's it's a good thing. If he wasn't happy with it, he got he got a good. I think we ended up with a very good script. So I'm not sure exactly yeah. what was wrong with the first one, but I'll I like it. that I, the idea that it's like he. I mean, he's a perfectionist. He's he's like, look, this isn't good enough for me. I want to make it where I want it to be, and he will. He'll do what he has to do to get there. Yeah, you know? and I like the 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 idea of crediting both teams. That that right. gives the impression that that they both put in a lot of work. He didn't completely throw out anything. They used a lot of the bases. I have a feeling, you know, with the other guys working for Carol Burnett and Bob Newhart, they probably punched up the comedy maybe a little bit. That's what I was thinking. They put maybe they added more jokes and yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, true. So uh, there you go. We got our script uh, produced by David. Lazar and Frank Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, David Lazar, he was co-producer on the Muppet movie, but we—I don't think we really talked about him because he wasn't—he didn't get a title credit. He got an end credit, not a title one. Right, I don't remember. Yeah, um, but he was—he was there. He started his career with Henson back in 1965 uh, as an executive with IBM. He helped actually making those first IBM uh, films that uh, Henson made. Hmm. And then he was executive producer for The Muppet Show, where he had an interesting uh, job title. And I, I think I'd like this job. He was the liaison for the show's guest stars. He would actually show the guest stars how to walk on the elevated sets, how to speak to a Muppet, and make sure they were comfortable with this production atmosphere. Sounds like nice. a cool gig, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that gig. Yeah, I know. It sounds pretty cool. Uh, then after the death of Henson in 1990, he was uh, instrumental with keeping Jim Henson's company going. Uh, Brian Henson actually said of him, quote, David sort of came and lived with us for a while just to help us figure it all out. I'd say that David Lazar was probably the biggest influence through that period to help figure out how we were going to move forward. Mm, so, that's cool. Yeah, he was huge. I remember that being a very contentious time. So yeah, it's interesting to hear other names involved, you know. And then you had Frank Oz, who was a co-producer here. He was a busy guy during this time period. Obviously a puppeteer, but he was also branching out at about this time. Co-producer credit here on The Great Muppet Caper. At the same time, he was co-directing Dark Crystal with Henson. Mm-hmm. And around the same time, he was being Yoda. Yoda. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. 
right around now. Yeah. Well, he would have just been Yoda like the year before. He but. would have just finished it up like when this yeah. was in production. But yeah. you know that he was he you know he wasn't just operating Yoda. I mean, he was chief puppeteer, creative consultant. I mean, he was really working with. Uh, yeah. And, and you know he was. There was another film, The Return of the Jedi, coming out too. So, I mean, he was, you know, he was really working a lot with uh, with Lucas in this time period too. So he's yeah. a very busy guy right around these two, three years. Hmm. Um. I like when um. Was it gone? Was it Gonzo or Fozzie? Again, I keep forgetting. Saying, "Are the credits over? Are the credits over?" <laughs> because it reminded me of my five year old. Anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I. The the cool thing that the Muppets do here is it's it's short title credits and yeah. they make jokes. So yeah, it's, it keeps them entertained. It, you yeah. keep you're entertained. Like it's not like boring. It's just part credit. of the movie. Because I I I want to uh, I I love fast forwarding through credits. Like Netflix is so bad at the Netflix original stuff. All has extremely long intros. Do you notice that? Yeah, but I actually really like watching most of them. Really? Like I actually. I'm one of the people who I have to watch the opening credits unless they're like really disturbing, like the Mind Hunter ones. I always would skip through because those are disturbing. I don't need to see that. Yeah, but yeah. like House of Cards, always going to watch the whole opening credits. Wow. Sense8, always going to watch the whole opening credit because they're brilliant and they get you kind of into the into the show. Even like, I mean, I know it's different. Like say like X-Files, there's a cold open and then the intro. Like I have to watch it because to me it's like part of the show. It doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. So I'm definitely an opening credit person. I will I will sit and watch them. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, yeah. I like I mean I like the feature they have where you could skip intro if you've already. I watched like having it. the option because a lot of them I don't watch. Like if if I don't if it's not a particularly great opening credit sequence, I I will skip over it. But if it is, I will watch it every time. But there does seem to be this resurgence of long opening credits because they went away for a while, and yeah. now they're kind of backish. I mean, Game of Thrones, obviously. Long, well, you long. know why? Because they have the time now. They don't have to keep it mm. under 41 minutes or whatever. Like they can they can go ahead. They can go 60 minutes. They can go 65 minutes if they want. So it doesn't matter. You know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. They could do yeah. it because they have the time and the technology is there. You could skip it if you want. Correct. Ooh. Okay. Game of Thrones is another one I will watch every single time. Every but time. I uh, but they change it up sometimes. That's mm-hmm. why you always wonder when it's going to change. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. The Simpsons anyway. is the only one I watch. Well, that's a great one, too. Well, it changes every time, yeah. It does change every time. Uh, Director, Jim Henson. Yes. First uh, Uh, movie? This is his first one. I was going to ask, because it was James Frawley did the first one, correct? Right. So this is his first uh, directorial debut? On a film. On a film, yes. Yeah, he's he's definitely directed some television stuff, Um, most notably some Sesame Street episodes, the, also, the Frog Prince. What about Muppet Show? No. No, I was wow. gonna say he, no. he's too much. He has too much other stuff going on with the Muppet Show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and John yeah. Denver's and, and the Muppets Rocky Mountain Holiday directed those, but those are all for TV, though, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything's there's for TV. I, this was his first film. His first. Yeah. Uh, he would direct. Other things, obviously, Dark Crystal going forward. Labyrinth, he was the director on Labyrinth. Those are the other two feature films that he would direct. He has a bunch of TV stuff. Apparently, I didn't know this. He directed a lot of uh, episodes of Fraggle Rock. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So there you go, director Jim Henson. 
And uh, another thing we keep... See if he does a good job. I know. We'll see. We keep overlooking the dialogue, but again, it needs to be noticed when he says, no one reads these names, do they? And Kermit says, sure, they all have families. (laughs) Well, yeah. Again, that's what everybody's thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I also like the the line where... um, you you just have this feeling Kermit and Jim Henson are, are friends because like Kermit's just like no there's one more and it's Jim Henson mm-hmm. you know it's just like the way he's like no there, there's one more coming it's my buddy yep uh, and then Hot Air Balloon Crash Lands. Well, I was going to ask quick, real quick, because uh, we were talking last minute about how they did this. Um, starting around minute, or sorry, second 30 of this minute, yeah. when we have this sort of more close-up, is it possible this one was filmed with the puppeteers under it? Because just, I mean, I'm watching just the fluidity of their motions and, and Fozzie grabbing the 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 rope and i mean i'm and and it never cuts below the bottom of the basket so i was wondering if maybe this shot might have been done the natural real way that they would normally do it it's possible right yes i will say okay. it's possible um okay. and you know yeah i'm trying to i didn't even think of that before but i'm trying to look at it closer because like a lot of times the lighting might cue you in on that so i'm trying to see if the lighting may be changed Honestly, just kind of the way Fozzie's moving and the way he turns towards Kermit, it just looks like there's a hand in there. Like, it doesn't look stiff at all like a robot. And, I mean, I know it could be really good robotics, but – and then the way his hand goes up and grabs the rope, I'm like, there has to be a hand in there. I I feel like that that this shot could possibly be done with them down there. I'm saying. also saying that I – no, well, maybe not. I don't know. I think I might notice a difference in the light. It looks like a brighter, flatter light on them. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, they're they're more lit in that scene than any other scene. So it is there there's like a kind of a shine coming off. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. Like how else would he reach up and grab? I mean, come on. They could do remote I believe, you know, I mean, the remote control stuff is well documented in a bunch of different places. Um but you're right. They it doesn't mean that every scene was done that way. They might have cheated a few yeah. scenes a different way. Not that it would be cheating if they had a puppeteer there, but you're no. but you're saying like on the ground, like on the stage. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how else he there. reaches up and grabs that rope. Right, right. Like that's, that's insane. Unless the guy in the balloon did it. <laughs> I guess it's possible. <laughs> I guess it's possible. Anyway, anyway. Um, so I was trying to look up if like how a hot air balloon lands, and I guess it's just like kind of close. You kind of close off that valve so i guess that's what he's doing yeah. by pulling that do you rope. think it, no matter what like it, you're gonna have kind of a tough landing because i've never been in a hot air balloon but i've always wondered that like at a certain point it's just you're just gonna hit the ground mm-hmm. right like it's not like a, it's not like a plane where you can like have a nice little gentle landing you know it's right. it's just gonna hit it's just gonna go clunk well i did like, find that yeah it is, landing in a hot air balloon is a fairly rough landing you will get jostled mm-hmm. a bit um, but they can bring you down pretty smooth. The smoothest ones apparently kind of skid on the ground a little bit, so you come yeah. to a skidding stop instead kind of, of straight like a down, land, like a like a like a landing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not uncommon for the basket to just tip over. But apparently, right. if everything's correct, the, you shouldn't get burned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just kind of hop out. So yeah. I like the idea that they just plopped down in the middle of this random city when before they were just out in the wide middle of nowhere and now they're suddenly just in a city. But I like it. It's, it's the idea is like, hey, we aren't really anywhere. We're just starting the movie. Right. Like, that's all it is. That's literally all we're doing. We're starting yeah. a movie. 
Like right. this is all a set. Right. I like that. Yeah. And, and it kind of looks like Sesame Street a little bit. Ooh, you know what? Yeah, with the yeah, the happy people. It's almost kinda. it's almost like Sesame Street reset. I mean, I know it isn't. I don't think they filmed this in New York, but it it, it looks very similar. No, this is uh, this is some kind of soundstage in London. The only yeah. the only thing that was filmed outside of London is uh, is the hot air is the actual hot air balloon in the in the sky, which was New Mexico. Yeah, I remember. I see. I'm listening. Okay. It was only two days ago. I know. I, I yeah. hope you remember. I do. All right. Well, we are we are now more than halfway through the first week of Great Muppet Caper. Hope you're enjoying things. And we're just about to get started here with uh, our first musical number coming up tomorrow. So, uh, but in the meantime, go to MuppetsMinute.com. Check us Muppets Minute on Facebook and Twitter and keep in touch with us there. And uh, let us know your thoughts on uh, The Great Muppet Caper. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Minute 4 of Muppets Minute. Bye. Bye.